Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Latina Life with Jenna Malena. Our super Latina today is a force in the culinary world. She is the recipient of the James Beer 2022 America's Classic Award and the owner of LA landmark Casa Vega. The restaurant was started 66 years ago by her father. She's taken the history and tradition of Casa Vega and revolutionized the experience in so many ways. Welcome to the show, Christy Vega. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> We're so excited to have you. Thank you. Um, we're going to get right into it because your, you know, family's restaurant is such a staple here in Los Angeles. Everybody knows it. People have seen it on TV shows multiple times. I mean, it's like a tourist spot where it's like, where do you go? Casa Vega. But before it became what it is today, um, tell us about your upbringing and, you know, your family story and how it all started. Um, so I was raised, I'm definitely my father's daughter. I was always very extremely close with my dad. I was actually his only child when he married my mom. My mom had two other children that he later adopted. So we were all one family, but I was his first and only child. So for him, it was just kind of a special dynamic between the two of us. But my father uh, opened Casa Vega at 22. By the time I came around, he was 43. He had uh, many other businesses, and he was basically a serial entrepreneur. And we he moved us eventually to Las Vegas when it quickly after I was born, and he became the first person um, to open a distribution company in the state of Nevada for the casinos. So he supplied all casinos in Las Vegas and Nevada with tobacco, started with tobacco, went on to about 9,000 items from computer systems to bottled water. He was the first person to bring marketing items into Las Vegas. Meanwhile, he always kept Casa Vega running and going as it was our family's jewel. And there's a bit of a long history of restaurant touring in my family. My grandparents came over after the prohibition and immigrated with the specific dream of opening a Mexican restaurant in Los Angeles in the 30s. And so when they immigrated over, they brought my father over the border with him and they ordered open Cafe Caliente on Alvera Street, which was the very first Mexican cafe on Alvera Street, still there today. It's called El Paseo. We no longer own it, but we thrived there for 18 years. And that's what my family did. My family still to this day in Tijuana has many restaurants. My cousin and is Javier Placencia, one of the most renowned chefs out of Mexico. So my family's just kind of embedded in hospitality and in Mexican food. So when my dad, when I came around, you know, now we're, we're two generations of restaurant touring. Casa Vega was always in Los Angeles and where we spent our summers because it was too hot in Los Angeles or in Las Vegas. And both my parents were from LA and like, let's go back. So every summer we'd come to Casa Vega and it was just the most refreshing thing because in, in Las Vegas, there was not a big Latino community. Hmm. Not at that time, not in the seventies. It was pretty much my dad went there, this little immigrant and stormed into that town <laughs> and did this massive business. But when we came back to Casa Vega, Everybody here, what I was able to see was number one, they were Latino. Everybody who worked here was Latino. Um, a big portion of them were my own family. <laughs> and what I also got to see was 
a different side of my dad in Las Vegas, there was big stress and big businesses. And he was constantly battling politically, business wise to be heard, to be seen. He took, um, he took the alternate route, I think of some people and minorities where he said, I am the token Mexican. He took full advantage of affirmative action when I grew up and I saw my dad sit on every bank board, every government board, get highly into politics to fight for the Latino community and say, I don't care that I'm the only one on this board or that they have to put me on this board because I'm brown. I'm going to show them what Latinos can bring. I'm going to show a positive attitude and a force and let them know that we have so much to give. And so I watched him do that simultaneously with this big business, simultaneously with always this massive love for Casa Vega. And so I kind of really absorbed it all. And so much of his love for the Latino community, he um, then by the governor of Nevada was named um, council general for the state of um, Nevada to Mexico. So his then baton became helping immigrants within the state, any uh, Mexican immigrant, any Mexican national that had a problem in the state of Nevada would wind up with my father and he would help them and try and get their ways. And so I got to see a whole different side of advocacy for our community and for our neighbors across the border that while we are Mexicans here, Mexicans and their country are so beautiful and vital to our own country and our own thriving in California. So that's what I think was my upbringing, was a huge amount of business, business everywhere I looked, but also raised by a man who never forgot where we came from. And he would always tell me to the people that were, so we'd always buy anything that was sold on a street corner because he said, I would be doing that if I needed to feed you. And he would never hold any ill will towards people. He would even say, you know, the people, the Mexicans that are forced to run drugs, I would do that. If, it, if I had to run drugs to put food in your mouth, I would do that. Never, ever judge anybody. You don't know their circumstances. And the, all we can do as people and especially people of color is to help and bring up people along with us. And I think that that is something that the Latinos do maybe better than any culture. It is like, we, we take care of our own. You'll see, we will we'll put 15 people in one room before somebody doesn't have a house you know, over their head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was my upbringing. <laughs> I, mean, I have to say, I love the fact that he leaned into, I'll be your token Latino, you know, I'm gonna show you what we can do because Sometimes, and I think most times when people do come, my parents immigrated, actually, my dad's from Tijuana, Mexico as well, he, um, had got his own, you know, he worked hard to have his own business as a tailor um, and, you know, always, you know, proud and everything. But I think sometimes looking around, at, especially me, I'm first gen, you know, you assimilate. So where I grew up, I didn't really lean into that one because I was the only one, you know, so there was, so I was like that much harder. How did so did you grow up leaning into that as well? Or were you so I definitely leaned into it, which was even trickier for myself because my mom is pure Irish. So my dad met her at the bar and my dad called me his little green bean. So I was, um, I'm half Mexican and half Irish. I am an Irish Mexican. And my, um, it was something that my dad's joke was like, well, you're 60% Mexican and you're 40% Irish. But no, I'm really half and half 
but I was raised in a very dominant Mexican household. My grandmother lived with us. Um, she had nine sisters that were constantly up, you know, in our house. My father was the biggest Mexican in the, in the state of Nevada. And he just wore it with so much pride that I, we all leaned into this culture. Even my, my, my stepbrother and sister, they leaned into it. And, the, you know, they call themselves um, faux Mexicans. Like, it's just something that even my white mom with blonde hair loves to wear the Mexican clothing. It's such a welcoming culture. And I think that that's what my family has embraced. And so, you know, I just, I, sometimes I will feel that maybe I'm not as, you know, Latin as somebody else. But then I remember hearing my dad say, don't ever fall into that trap because everybody, even if you have one tenth of it, you are Latin, you yep. wear it and you're proud and we stand together because when we're together, we're bigger. And those that have assimilated, he also taught me that it's my role to speak for the people that don't have voices because I've had different opportunities and education and platforms. And it's my job to yell and speak and defend for the little guys because once that was my family. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you guys, when did you decide to really, you know, sort of get into the business, like really get into the business here um, in Los Angeles? So my dad had these massive businesses everywhere and he was starting to retire and certainly he was winding out things in Vegas and the Vegas business supported all the purchasing and accounting and sort of like the business side of Costa Vega because my dad had moved there. So he, when I got out of college, which I did not have the dad that you said, do whatever you would like. You know, he said, you're going to college and you're whip smart, you're going to business. That's what you're going to do. <laughs> and so um, when, when I came back, he said, great, you can go to the restaurant because it has no um, business side. It has no office. It needs, you know, accounting, purchasing, like we need HR. It needs to be set up. And I said, but doubt if I'm going to work there. Do you think I should? I'd really like to go to culinary school. I love to cook and being taught by my grandmother at home and all our recipes. And he said, no, um, you can go to call. You can take all the cooking classes you would like later, but there's a big giant kitchen in there. There's your culinary school. And if you don't know how to pay your bills and manage the business, you will have nowhere to cook. And you remember that. And that as being the CEO, which he was training me to be, he also very much instilled that, you know, your time and attention, yes, can be done to that, but what it should be done to and, and spent on is the weight of the employees that rely on you and that the office may not be the funnest part, but it is the most important because that's where paychecks come out of and that's where insurance policies come out of and that's where keeping charge and making sure that you are doing the best by your employees. That's the number one responsibility you have. Was it tough when you were prepping for that? I mean, as a woman, as a woman of color, I mean, even though it was your family business, um, even sometimes in our culture, you know, women are sort of seen to be in certain roles and not in a CEO role. So was there any type of feedback, negative feedback that you got or she oh, yeah. like, <laughs> and like, you know, it should be a man, a Latin man, like, I don't know, like, what was that something that you had to come across? 
Absolutely. Even with my own father, you know, I think he brought me in and he definitely tested me numerous times to see that if I could do it and that if I had the chutzpah, if I had the strength, if I had the determination, I think that, you know, um, I quit 30 times and he fired me about 10. And so, you know, we had our battles and it was hard to even win my father's respect. But once I did, he was so blown away and the biggest advocate I I could possibly have as a woman, as a Latina woman, to run and to be a big CEO. Um, but even everybody from the dishwasher to the maintenance guy, I walked in with less respect because I was the owner's daughter. The, you know, you can be very much viewed as, oh, you're a princess. You just get handed this. You don't know what it is. So mm -hmm. I knew that going into it. And it took a solid decade to win over people that have been here 40 years win over everybody's respect to where they they always respected and were kind but where they will follow me where they would trust me as a leader and where they will follow me and how I did that was Latina style I worked harder than them I'm not I'm not a bear it does not work with my personality I have boundaries and don't cross them and they know that but that I worked harder than every single employee in this restaurant. And that is how I earned everybody's respect. And you just do it quietly with your head down, but they see Christy won't leave. Christy's the last one here. Christy's scraping the grease off the walls. Christy's put her blood, sweat, and effort into this, no matter who her father is. And that's how you get respect. And that's certainly how you get respect of Latinos, which is my entire staff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know that's something that you learn too, obviously being in a Latino family, right? Because you see the work ethic and everything. But we talked a little bit before we started yeah. about you studying business administration, which I think is huge, you know, becoming liberal arts background over here and everything, but business admin and economics. And you were telling me the challenges being seen even in there. So tell us a little bit about that. Oh yeah, I went to a very small liberal arts school and I remember walking into my first business class and you know, my other general classes, they were very mixed, half female, half male. I walked into my first business class and was shocked that there was about 25 men and about two women. And I was the only one of any color. Mm -hmm. And so that I was shocked that, you know, even in a business course that women just don't gravitate to it, which is shocking to me because there's so many, I feel entrepreneurial spirit within the female of things that we can do and we want to do. And this gives these tools, but yeah, to be included in those conversations, to be heard, to be viewed that you have something valuable to say, not only as a female, but a Latina. And it's something that still happens today, today that I still fight to be heard, to be regarded, to, and I'm very used to being disregarded and it doesn't bother me anymore because I still speak up and I still keep doing a good job. And I think that, that it's so important for women to know, don't let the men dominate the business field. I think that the women are the best leaders, the best entrepreneurs and the best managers. They, women are collaborative and we mm -hmm. make great things happen. And so I would love to see so many more women and don't be afraid, go into those business courses, go into marketing. The female mind works in a business fashion. And sometimes we leave it to the men. Yeah, <laughs> that's very true. So going, um, so now once you're CEO and stuff and wanting to have a new vision for Casa Vega and this new like vision that you had, was that hard for you? Like, was there, cause I mean that you're, that's, that was your dad's baby right and that's his vision so how did 
you wanting to make it different and bringing it to the next level? Was that difficult? Like, did you get any feedback? Yeah. And especially during the pandemic, I mean, you did yes. some amazing things. Yeah. I mean, you know, before the pandemic, I always kind of tiptoed around Casa Vega. I knew how to take care of it. I knew the business side. I knew to continue to like polish it up and make sure it didn't go stagnant and like redo bar programs. But it was very hard because I would also get a lot of pushback of changing things or updating things like don't do it or the daughter's doing this or the daughter's doing that. And I would get nervous. I would get nervous that maybe people didn't want me running it. Maybe everybody, even though my dad hasn't, he had Alzheimer's and dementia. So even though he had been out of the picture for so long, maybe people were more comfortable with the male, you Mm -hmm. know, of the owner of Casa Vega and I'll just stay quiet and hidden. And then people won't have to realize that it's really a little girl that's been running it the whole time. Um, But during the pandemic, there was so much bad, obviously, and and our industry got pummeled, our our employees and restaurant workers got treated as disposables by uh, the local government, which broke my heart as a very active, also Democrat. I couldn't believe that my own, I thought Democrats were for the working party, but I couldn't believe that they were turning their backs on these low-income restaurant workers, which a huge amount were undocumented. Mm-hmm. And they knew that and they had no government assistance and these humans that scrape our plates and make our food and clean our floors were going to starve. And something woke inside of me. At the same time, my father was dying of COVID. Mm-hmm. And oh, so during the second shutdown, when I, you know, the first shutdown, you kind of understand, but the second under shutdown, I didn't understand to shut down outdoor dining and to put all these people out of work. I couldn't understand what Los Angeles was doing. And I was on news cameras fighting saying, what are we doing? We are unemploying so many people right now. This is unnecessary. And my mom would call me, your dad's back at the hospital. You know, he's got, we're, we're going to FaceTime to say his last goodbyes, but I knew this is exactly what my dad wanted me to be doing was fighting again for our community fighting for the little people that had no voice that nobody listened to and so during COVID it brought out in me this kind of warrior for our restaurant industry which is heavily Latino and Mm -hmm. also to stand on my own two feet to realize that my dad wasn't here anymore and quite frankly at a few points the restaurant wasn't here anymore and I didn't know if it was coming back so I thought what did I have to lose Mm -hmm. what did I have to lose by being the you know before you're just the quiet hard-working good Latina you know business owner and I thought screw this (laughs) I'm gonna call every politician on the fact that they're turning their backs on all these low-income workers I'm gonna fight and struggle and do whatever it takes to make sure this business survives and I'm gonna help my community so I partnered up with Noah's Without You uh, founded by Otan and Damian Diaz and they just they reminded me so much of my father that I I gravitated towards them and they have not been able to get rid of me to this day <laughs> and I knew that I didn't have a lot of money especially at the time and but I what I did have was Casa Vega's celebrity and so mm-hmm. I reached out which I never ever do and that's why they come at Casa Vega we never ask celebrities for anything or pictures you'll never see pictures on the wall or anything like that 
But this I thought, this is important enough. This is feeding human beings and their families. So I reached out to Pete Wentz, the follow boy, and then it ran into Dave Grohl, the Foo Fighters, and Dakota Fanning. I had the chain smokers reach out to me saying, we see what you're doing. We see that you are feeding hospitality workers. We want to be involved. We want to help. So it gave me such confidence that, hey, maybe a Latina running things is okay. Maybe my voice is being heard. And simultaneously, I got, you know, tense up in the parking lot and everybody was so happy to be out there drinking margaritas and I put plants and made it really pretty. And I thought, you know, I just built a whole outdoor restaurant that looks nothing like Casa Vega right in the parking lot and everybody's still coming. So yeah. again, the, the, as, as hard and painful as the pandemic was, it almost was a catalyst into realizing who I am as a human and that when you can be burned down, you can lose your business, you can lose your father, but you can rise up so far from all of that. And, and none of it makes me sad. None of it. Like even my dad, I know he's so happy right now. Like it's, it's the best thing in the world. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That, what a great, that's a great story. I mean, but too, like you say, like the celebrity, because I mean, you know, when did you realize that Casa Vega was that place, that go-to spot, you know, seeing yeah. it because it's a funny it it's a funny story. Once when I was about 12 years old, we were in town for Thanksgiving and I was with my brother and my sister and we met my cousins and my parents just kind of like dropped us off on the sidewalk of Ventura and we're like, bye, we're going out with our friends or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah, always, right? Yeah, right. Just, <laughs> and so we go to Casa Vega and we can't get in the door. And then nobody kind of knows who we are and we're too shy to say who we are. And so we wait for an hour and we can't get in. We oh went across God. the street to the Greek restaurant and then we came back and my parents were like, how was it? We're like, we don't know. We couldn't get in. The place is so busy. And so I think at that point, we kind of felt like it was turning. Something about mm -hmm. turning. The celebrity aspect had always been there. Like Marlon Brando and um, Gary, Cary Grant was a great friend of my dad's and like one of our tried and true most customers who brought in all the celebrities. And then from there, each generation in the 80s, it was all the hair bands. We had Van Halen and Motley Crue and it just kind of Guns N' Roses. It was their place. So the celebrity, for some reason, they found Casa Vega and we didn't find them. So, um, and I think that what we do to keep that is obviously we keep it dark. And then, like I said, there's no pictures. We don't bother them. We hardly talk to them. Um, I always say the staff doesn't know who they are. So unless you're on Telemundo, <laughs> you got no pull coming into Costa Vega. They're like, whatever. My friend will be like, Justin Timberlake's in the front lobby and nobody's seeing him. I'm like, well, I don't know. <laughs> but that's funny. My dad, completely. I still remember he told me this long story. I'm going to keep it short, but there was a Latino actor that came in and he was telling me about him. He's like, I don't know. Have you heard? And he tells me the name of the movie. And I forgot um, he was in it with Kevin Spacey, I believe. And I look at him, I'm like, dad, are you talking about Benicio del Toro? And he goes, is that his name? I'm like, oh my God. And he actually told him 
keep at it. You're going to do good. You're going to do good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Oscar or something like that. Yeah, he did okay. He's done all right. Yeah. yeah. But um, speaking of celebrity, and I think obviously you're more than just that. You're such a game changer. Let's talk about, for anyone who doesn't know a lot about the culinary world, you have this big honor that you received this year, being the recipient of the James Beard Award. Tell us about that what it means to you. What does it mean to be part of like the recognized by the James Beard Foundation? It means everything. I was blown away when we got the award beyond shocked. Um, I pretty much fell to my knees. I definitely threw everything off my desk and danced on top of it. It was just the biggest sense of pride, but also relief, relief that I did it, relief that all this kind of, at times you don't know, you don't know if you're working so hard and it's not going to work out or the, the ruckus you're causing is on the wrong side or the right side. You hope you're doing right, but you just don't know. And the kind of, I remember sitting back after I got the call thinking with tears in my eyes, dad, we did it. Yeah, you know, like you made it, you brought it here. I made sure it didn't go anywhere. And then I even brought it up to a bigger recognition. He would be so happy. So to me, it kind of means everything. And I did, um, I had applied and gotten in, which I was very happy for the James Beard. They have a women's entrepreneurial leadership program, which is like a little MBA. And I was so excited when I got in and I thought, oh my, maybe they'll know who Casa Vega is after I do this program, or maybe even 10 years of me putting in time, maybe they'll know who my, what Casa Vega is. And I got the call that we won the American classic like the next month. And I said, did you know I got in this program? They're like, no, we didn't even know. But um, so again, that a little Mexican LA restaurant founded by a family of immigrants is now an American classic. Also makes me so happy of no. uh, assimilation and to be proud of it. And that this is the American dream that a family crosses the border, they come over for a better life. And then each generation life gets a little better. And this is, this is what it is. And so I'm so passionate. It makes me so passionate about small businesses, especially family owned businesses and especially family owned restaurants because they're one of the few remaining pathways that remain open for the American dream to immigrants, whether you're coming from India or Thailand or Mexico, you may not be able to be a doctor, a lawyer, or go right in, but you can open a little restaurant, you can open a taco hut, you can open a curry place, and you can start the American dream. And so that's what it's just, um, this whole experience has motivated every part of my body to spread the word to Latinas and to the community to, this is what we, they need us. They need our fire. They need our passion. They need us yeah. dancing in parking lots. And being yes, we dance in a parking lot on a van and we're still the CEO because we are Latina. And that yeah. is how yeah. we do it. <laughs> so for the, for, you know, our listeners out there, what are some tips for someone who wants to start, you know, their own business in the culinary world? Like, what are your tips that you give them? Um, to find that something, start small. 
would be my biggest tip. Smart, small and whatever you want to do, because that's attainable and easy. And so that not nothing's easy in the corner, but it's attainable. So if you have it, you're really good at tamales. Start there. Don't go for the big restaurant. Just do the tamales. Start tamales and marketing. Market that little tamale. Even if you're selling them out of the house, you know, showcase it on social media. Make it pretty. Just give it everything you have, all your passion, and someone will see your love for what you're doing, and they'll get motivated by it. And then they'll say, those tamales are amazing. And then you can start doing pre-orders of tamales. And then from there, you can do a little talk, you know, tamale stand. And then from there, you can keep growing. But I like to say, keep it solid and keep it small and keep it, you know, sustainable. Sometimes what I do see in business is people try and shoot too big and mm. just take the little steps and enjoy it because each step gets you further and further. Okay. That's good to know because I think you're right. I think a lot of people think I have to have the bar and I have to have the, this and I have to have, and food is hard. The restaurant is. is very difficult. I don't think people realize how hard it is to have a successful business. So yeah. that's why I think that's a great tip. Jen, what do you, what do you got? I'm just wondering, is there any like, um, something in people maybe who are starting in this field should stay away from, you know, is there a pitfall to maybe like, you know what, that's not really it look great, but it's not, it's a false egg or, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, anything that seems too easy and too flashy, I would always stay away from. Um, and anything that speaks to the ego and, um, you know, sometimes it, so, so say somebody was looking at two locations and one looked to be a little swankier and better and it has a Starbucks next to it. It's too expensive. Just leave it and go to the other location that you can afford and make it better. So I think that mm -hmm. it's kind of, you know, you get like a a sexy drink of water sounds great. Like SoFi wanted me to put a massive Casa Vega outside the stadium. This And it's, woo, you kind of get like lost in that. But if I had done that, that was right before the pandemic, I don't know where I'd be now, oh, Yeah, you know? Yeah. So because I would be in amount of debt, that wouldn't have been happening. And something in my gut said, no, keep it small. Keep it oh, small. Listen to your gut, right? Mm -hmm. Always. Yeah. Listen to the heart. Is there anything I know you've done so much? I mean, in regards to just revolutionizing the ex entire experience, are you working on any new collaborations? Any new yeah, things? well, right now I'm uh, redoing, um, starting in September, we're going to start construction on the exterior patio. It's time for a facelift. I'm going to make it really nice. Um, in a year, I'm just waiting for the permits, the permits, but it'll have a full bar and a cocktail lounge outside, but I'm not waiting. It's going to take so long. I'm going to start with some version of that next month. And then in bringing back the drive-through that was a massive success during COVID. I just didn't have enough staff to run them both. I'm fully staffed. So we're going to be start promoting drive through for margaritas, drive through for tacos. And then beyond that, I have plans of doing little Mexican markets um, up in, you know, kind of more on Ventura Boulevard, bringing that culture up into a different area, packaging it, having Casa Vega products and really kind of expanding the brand that way, branching out versus scaling up with a thousand restaurants. But you'll see lots of ways that Casa Vega is going to grow. <laughs> it's going to infiltrate Ventura Boulevard. I love it. Oh my yeah. God. Well, I know I'm very, I'm looking forward to it. I always think it's so fun. It's one of the places that my daughter and I have always gone to. And we always have the best time because your staff really is great. They're always so lovely. And they have, all of them have different personalities, especially the bartenders are <laughs> so do. great. <laughs> you know, clearly I'm always at the bar. But, 
Um, <laughs> it is a ton of fun. Oh, uh, well, that's so, so great. And I'm the same. I'm like, I want to just go somewhere where I can have a great meal with my children. I have four boys, but I also want to be able to have a drink. I want to have a nice cocktail and sit there. And I think that that's what we do really well is that, you know, we are a family place, but you can still get a drink. <laughs> a good one. Yeah. No, it's, it's always been a lot of fun going there. And also just to take a look and see, because there's always somebody there. Always somebody. People, completely. <laughs> always someone there. Jen, you got anything else? I mean, my last thing is just what's the motto that you live by? Like, what did your dad, you know, ingrain in you? What's the motto? You wake up every day, you go into work every week. What's your motto? Nothing to it, but to do it. <laughs> nothing to it, but to do it. That's Love a good that. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's nothing to it. Just stop overthinking and just do it. Just go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. Oh my God, Christy, this was such a great conversation. Thank you so much for your time. I can't wait to see you out at the restaurant or to see you on Ventura with the new projects that you have going on. And Jen and I are here to support you. And so is all the listeners that are listening. The Latina family out there. Like, mm-hmm. Absolutely. So thank thank you. you. Thank you. And thank you guys for doing this. Thank you for highlighting Latina life and Latinas in Los Angeles and everywhere. We really are such a beautiful, warm culture that I love to see you two doing these things and and promoting it so well and making us look so good. (laughs) So thank you. Well, thank you. much heart and passion. All right, Miss Lastinas, we love you so much. Besos, remember to listen to all our stories, all our guest stories on iHeart and Apple. And um, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Ciao. Ciao. Bye. <laughs>